All right, hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Dan Malthorpe, Chief Executive here at the City Club, and where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. Sorry about the technical difficulties at the beginning. Uh, today's March 10th. We've been in this pandemic for a year, and we have another digital program for you today. We're super excited about it. As you know, we've been speaking with Cleveland mayoral candidates over the past few months. You can find all of our previous interviews at cityclub.org. And of course, we're going to continue to do that as more candidates emerge, and eventually we will do debates in this race as well. Today, we're talking with another candidate who wants to be mayor of the city of Cleveland. His name is Ross DeBello. He formally launched his campaign last October. He's originally from Chesterland and graduated from both the Ohio State University and Cleveland Marshall College of Law, and he now lives in the West Park neighborhood of the city of Cleveland. He spent most of his law career working for Cuyahoga County Judge Cassandra Collier-Williams, first as a receptionist in her private law office, and most recently as staff attorney with her in the Cuyahoga County Court of Common Pleas. For part of his earlier career, Importantly, he played poker professionally and made it to the World Series of Poker. Mr. DeBello's campaign is anchored in a few important issues. He plans to institute more democratic procedures on Cleveland City Council and increase transparency, prioritize public transportation, close Burke Lakefront Airport, create a vibrant lakefront, and increase innovation in public transportation. We'll get to these topics and more. Also, whatever you have on your mind, please send us your questions for Mr. DeBello. We've received a number on Twitter already. You get yours to us either through Twitter with a tweet at the City Club and we'll work it in or with a text to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. Any questions we, don't, we won't get to in the hour, we'll hand them off to uh, Ross DeBello and he can answer them on our blog if he likes and we certainly hope that he does. Ross DeBello, welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. Dan, thank you for having me for this discussion. Can, can you hear me all right? We sure can. Thank you very much for joining us. Ross, why don't you start out um, by talking about some of your priorities? I mentioned the sort of new things for uh, that, that you have in mind for City Council, and there's sort of you have a, a sort of suite of good government reforms you'd like to implement. Yeah, it's it's something that I think is badly needed here. Uh, it's, it's not just badly needed here. It's probably at the federal and state level as well. <clears throat> but since I've been working in Cleveland, you know, I've seen time and time again the will of Clevelanders uh, in all parts of Cleveland, east, south, west, downtown, uh, be pretty clearly ignored and um, understanding uh, election results and campaign finance. Um, and kind of what motivates policy. Um, I just think we can't be governing with re-election in mind. And if we are, um, not significant amounts of campaign contributions needed to potentially be re-elected, but rather improvements to the city based on what the tens of thousands of Clevelanders want time and time again, um, which haven't been ignored which in my opinion ha has resulted in this number one ranking in poverty um, and some of the other humanitarian um, statistics, the decline in public transportation. Um, the state of our city really, I think is proven out by ignoring, you know, rank and file Clevelanders in all places. So to create a more democratic Cleveland, I, I wanna install a two-term limit just like the president of the United States, 
Uh, whereas if, if you do a great job in, in your first four years, you know, based on the quality of life improvements, you would put, probably get reelected for a second term. And then we would force, you know, new blood into the discussion, new ideas into the discussion. Um, that'd be the same term limit for council people. Um, we'd end that appointment process, which has so many of our council people now have benefited from. Um, and the campaign finance portion of my platform, and these are all proposed charter amendments that would need the mandate of the people in a, in a following election. Campaign finance portion is we just raised the limits from 1,000 per person, 2,000 per pack to 5,000 per person, 7,500 per pack. And that's just badly unrepresentative of, of who Clevelanders are and what we're about. So my proposal is to bring it down to $250 per pack, essentially eliminating um, corporations as influence wielders in, in local politics as best we can. And then 750 bucks per per Clevelander. That's the max you could, you could donate. Ross, let me ask you a practical question. Um, I'm not a lawyer. I only I, I only kind of barely understand the charter of the, that governs the city of Cleveland and, and council. But does the mayor really have um, the ability to set the rules of council regarding public comment and things like that? No. And so, so you know, the, pe the people have the power to mandate their our charter. Um, so just last year, we did a few charter amendments. The council puts them up and they place them on a ballot in a certain type of way. One of them was this time to get these signatures for these ballots. Um, you know, I think we're trying to lobby everybody for things that we don't have power over, HUD money, federal government, mm -hmm. uh, wine, state level, minimum wage, you know. So it, this is my proposed way. And it's not one where day one, if I'm victorious, I can change those campaign finance limits. So um, it would seem to me, <clears throat> pardon me, that you would actually have a better shot at making those kinds of legislative changes and charter changes and changes to the basic rules of council if you were sitting on council and not mayor and not in the mayor's office. Um, potentially, potentially. I, I don't know who will win the 17 council seats, but we, we do certainly have entrenchment where the incumbents generally win, you know, year and year again. Um, and I've never heard, uh, and I, I've been through the heavy majority of the wards throughout the last 12 years. You know, I've never heard uh, my councilman or another councilman. I think one time on, on Twitter, I did hear one of them say we need term limits, but I've never heard these arguments uh, vociferously advocated for from this group of council people. And uh, the proposals are kind of to get new blood all the time. We're constantly innovating. And mm -hmm. the opposite of kind of what we have now, we'll have decades long entrenched people that benefit from the campaign fin finance system and and things of that nature. There's obviously a, a, you know, the argument against that is that you lose institutional knowledge and um, you see that at the state house with the term limits that have been um, applied there. Um, and, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's important. Maybe it's not. The, the question is why is this stuff, these good government reforms that you're proposing, why are these more important than the traditional things that mayoral candidates are talking about? Economic development, 
jobs, the schools, lead poisoning, infant mortality, racial justice, dismantling systemic racism and white supremacy. Yes, yeah, so they're not. Um, they are procedural. I think I think that's the word you use, procedural, and that's exactly what they are. But um, my candidacy, I would say, is is motivated uh, in in part by 2016 presidential candidate Lawrence Lessig, and it's about the order of operation. Not very many people remember that Larry Lessig actually ran for president in 2016. Yes, the the world of Lawrence campaign. The world of war. Exactly. It didn't pick up much steam. You know, it was an anti-establishment campaign. You're trying to change power structures. And um, but just like him, you know, like me, no, I really kind of one of the drivers for me was the clash led poisoning petitions signed by thousands of people said, we'll get to it when we get to it on our watch, how we want to do it. And so you know, those infant mortality rates, those lead poisoning rates, uh, recycling, snow plowing, all the real issues are the issues. This is about how do we ensure that if I'm a taxpaying homeowner, parent of a, a kid at CMSD, how do we ensure that my will will be enacted? And that's kind of not worrying about raising the most money by far for the next election. It's just about, it's just about prioritizing what my neighbors want. Um, most people, uh, you know, most people in Cleveland, voters in Cleveland, um, don't know you, don't know your name. Um, why don't you explain a little bit about your background and what in your background you think uniquely prepares you for what some say is simply the most important elected office in Northeast Ohio? Yeah, uniquely, um, We'll have to see who the other candidates are. Well, but, we know who some of them are. Yeah, yeah, we know who some of them are. Um, but my background is is one of, um, uh, I think you mentioned it, you know, I, I played poker for a year after law school. And then I, I went to the law offices of Cassandra Collier-Williams, which was a small law office on uh, East 21st in St. Clair. And we did um, a full-scale general representation, which included criminal defense, um, and then when she wanted to run for judge, uh, our, our thing was, well, let's do this the right way. So we were in the community uh, and in the county. It wasn't just the city, but we were citywide uh, and countywide every night, at, uh, most weekend days, most Saturdays, uh, any parade, any Democratic Ward Club meeting. And uh, I loved it. You know, I, I loved it. And and you get the slice of life. You get the diversity that is Cleveland and Cuyahoga County. And you realize that, wow, we're just so similar. We're just so similar. And, and we all have the same wants and priorities largely. I mean, not exactly, but largely. And so then when um, she was lucky enough to get elected in 2012, she took me with her to the Justice Center. And I saw, you know, the results of poverty. Um, time and time again, you know, people end up in court and it's more than, it's certainly more than just poverty, but you know, it's the biggest driver of crime. We want to have a flourishing economy here and we want to take people uh, and give them whatever opportunities they want for how they put food on their table. And um, at the Justice Center, you just saw too much 
Uh, I, I, so when you say uniquely, I would just watch in criminal cases, you know, most days. And, and my job was more on the civil side. So I also saw the big money lawsuits and corporations and the games that they play and things of that nature. So that's my background. Does it, uh, is it going to be unique to the candidates? I don't know. But seven and a half years in the felony court um, was tough to not want to do more, do the most I can. Do the most I can. Has Judge Collier Williams endorsed your campaign? Oh, they cannot by law. Judges cannot in, endorse can political candidates. By law? Uh, by canon, by judicial okay. canon. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Judicial canon. I see. Um the you left uh you left her employee. You're no longer uh working at the count at the at the Justice Center. Why not? Um, I, that's a family situation. Uh, you know, I had a couple ill elderly family members and, uh, the justice center. I, I don't know if you've had the pleasure. It's, it's, um, it's highly traversed. It's highly traversed. So I think I kind of jumped on the whole, let me be safe rather than sorry, um, sooner than most. And so I, I just had to get home because I didn't know how much I'd have to interact with family. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's that situation. Understood. Um, ultimately, was it your experience in the courts that led you to believe that you are the leader Cleveland's been waiting for? Or is it, um, or was it something else? No, it's, it's my, uh, I, I think, my passion for politics and community. Like, mm -hmm. I personally am probably like a lot of other people in that I don't really feel represented um, at any level. Uh, I think democracy is broken at pretty much every level. Um, the two-party system, I think, is, has let us down. We are in an era of inequality. I work so beyond the prior to the Justice Center, I was at the law office. I think in 2012, I was making, maybe it had gotten up to $10 an hour at that point. I was also working uh, at the casino full-time, making $6 an hour plus non-existent tips. Um, you know, so I just think we're in an era of inequality um, and politicians have to do more to fight for, you know, the heavy majority of, of Americans and here in Cleveland, Clevelanders. And I just don't know where I'm getting that from right now, you know, for my, for my taxes. I, I, but I, I don't want to complain. I want to act. And so presenting a platform, um, again, my priorities, I believe are the right priorities, but the procedure and the operation of how we get to these changes, um, it matters to me. And I, I believe in, I believe in the changes we need. Ross, you've referenced your uh, the time you spent playing professional poker. I noted earlier that you made it to the World Series of Poker. Um, you understand a little bit about uh, risk and uh, game theory. Um, what does risk and game theory tell you about your candidacy? How does it, in, you know, what does it tell you about the likelihood of you making it through the primary, for instance? It's a great question. It's a great question. And um, I think I opened up my campaign committee before um, COVID. So uh, I was really excited to go out there and make these arguments that I'm making you right now, like, hey, we got to change the system. This, this system is badly broken. I was really excited to go to, you know, every parade, every ward club, 
every high rise, um, every everywhere, and and do this, uh, you know, daylight hours or beyond, you know, from from 8 a.m. to as long as people go, 10 or 11 p.m. And that's what we did on Judge Collier Williams' campaigns. And it was really rewarding. It was really meaningful. And I had my wife's blessing. Um, so, you know, now that COVID's hit, um, then I have to do some Zooms, got a new Twitter account, develop for mayor. Um, you know, you got to innovate. And, and but but I, I so believe in these democratic reforms that, um, you know, this, the petition signature has got to be in ink. Um, vaccines are rolling out. You know, we'll see what we can do trying as hard as we can every waking hour. And that's the way that we campaign for Judge Collier Williams. And I love it because I, I love people. So, you know, we'll see what we can do. Yeah. Um, let's move towards away from just the joys of campaigning to uh, the challenge of governing. Um, you know, campaigns are poetry. Governing is prose, uh, as someone said. And someone can tweet me the answer who said that. Um uh, but in all seriousness, Cleveland's one of one of the poorest, if not the poorest city in the nation. It is one of the most segregated cities in the nation. Um, let's start with poverty. What's your plan? Yeah, so that's a huge part of my my platform with the campaign finance, ending handouts. You know, when you give uh, millions of dollars to uh, organizations that don't need millions of dollars, you're diverting it from government. You know, we can't afford a epidemiologist. You know, we just lost 8,000 students for this virtual thing. Um, it's, it's about negotiating on behalf of the taxpayer in every deal. Like my prop, my income taxes have now went up from two to two and a half percent. Okay. Fair enough. You know, I'm going to, I voted for the issue 68 levy, of course. Um, my property taxes have, have already gone up in, in two years pretty significantly. You know, just like anything in life, um, you, you want to get what you're paying for. And I feel like what I'm getting is headlines about more jobs and hopefully more income tax revenue and, and more commercial revenue and, and things of that nature. And, you know, if every candidate believes, hey, we got to use Ross, we got to use your income taxes to generate more income taxes, well, we're going to keep getting the hundred million dollars, you know, to organizations that maybe don't. The priorities are wrong. Which know? organizations are you talking about that are receiving handouts? Well, I think in March it was uh, Sherwin Williams, right? It was fifty million cash, maybe another fifty in tax incentives. So, you know, and that's the other thing is we just did a sixty-year tax abatement. Yeah, so let me let me push back for a second here, Ross. Um, Sherwin Williams was, as you know, looking all over the country at 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 a, for a new headquarters for a site to put a new headquarters. Cleveland was always in the running because Cleveland is home. Cleveland is is the origin story, but that doesn't mean much anymore in today's global market, right? They could have moved to Toronto. They could have moved to Minneapolis, St. Paul. They could have moved any place with a, an airport that functions better than ours for their for their executives that are getting on planes all the time. The income tax revenue, the argument that that folks make is that the income tax revenue generated by a um, by a, a, a large downtown office employer 
with professional jobs, you know, lots of six-figure salaries, as well as the economic impact of those employees going out for lunch, staying after work to, to go to the bars, to go see a game, that that's worth it. How do you counter that argument? Yeah, I, I think that it's about fighting and negotiations and getting books opened up. Um, 50 and 100 are very round, divisible numbers, just happen to be divisible by 50 and 100. Um, that's not how one would operate who is fighting for all different interests within the community. You know, could they have stayed with $37.2 million? Could they have stayed with $21.75 million? So just to, to do round number handouts is it's not telling me and my neighbors enough thought and enough fight is going into, again, recycling, public health, um, social services. It's, it, it, those arguments may be valid. They, we may have been able to negotiate, but my platform speaks to negotiating on behalf of the taxpayer and demanding to figure out what are the right amounts to invest in future job growth and, and you know, invest in social services. So what kind of conversations have you had with your council member uh, about these concerns that you have? Have those have those conversations been like gone un, un, unheeded? I mean, the, the only conversation, uh, not, not, on, not on the 100 million Sherwin-Williams, but on the recent 60-year tax abatement, uh, Councilman Slife was on our recent Ward 17 Zoom meeting. Not the most recent one. I think I missed the, the most recent one, but um, two of them ago. And he spoke of why health and human services was only going to get a certain amount of money if we gave the 60-year tax abatement on the, to the, for the flats developer. And, you know, whether he's right or wrong, I think neighbors are sick of kind of trusting City Hall. And that's the thing. I'm not here to say Sherwin-Williams would, wouldn't have gone to Toronto. I'm not here to say that. I'm here to say we need to change the way we do business. But I mean, driving a harder bargain or negotiating, I mean, that doesn't negotiating those deals doesn't necessarily solve the big problem of poverty. Right. So and that was the sort of where we started with this question. I said, what are you going to do about poverty? And you said, well, we're going to stop doing big deal, stop doing these giant incentives. Okay. So how do you then? So I want to circle back to that. How do you get how are you planning on pulling people out of poverty? Yeah, but but I think it does does reference that in that, as I said, if if you could get away with if you're looking at books, if you're looking at finances and saying, hey, how can we keep you here instead of going to Chicago or Toronto? Uh, oh, we can get away with 21, 21 and three quarters million. Well, that's 78 million for new entrepreneurs, new small businesses. You know what I mean? It's about divvying up the pizza pie better and creating new jobs and start up new businesses, you know? So yeah, fighting for everything more. Ross, one of the other huge problems uh, that we're facing as a community is lead poisoning uh, among our youth. And even the tiniest bit of lead can lead to uh, damage that cannot be undone uh, for a child um, in terms of their development, their future potential as a contributor to our community. Um, what would you do about that issue right now? So I would enact 
the legislation that was proposed by, uh, I think it was Rebecca Maurer and Clash, mm-hmm. um, you know, and being sure that it's feasible from all perspectives, uh, renters, landlords, whatever, but they put the work in. So mm-hmm. that's that gets back to just listening to the community, thousands of voices, uh, lawyers who put the work in. Um, I myself have not done led, and, and hopefully, by the way, working with Sherwin Williams on that. Um, yeah, listening to those who've done the work. If if if, if six thousand clash members sign a petition saying we want these reforms, we want them in um, uh, daycares. We 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 want these reforms done in daycares. And city council says eh, we're going to do it our way, and we're not going to include daycares. You know doing a clash's way, doing a clash's way. So just, uh, what about infant mortality? We have one of the highest rates of infant mortality in the nation. Our state is, you know, leads the nation as well. And, uh, and the, this issue has a disproportionate impact on women of color, mothers of color. Yeah. Uh, philanthropy <sighs> combining with the clinic, Metro health, um, you, you know, UH and making sure that African-American women's voices are heard. Um, there's a, a there's a lullaby project I, I, I remember reading about where uh, that that could help with with infant mortality. And I think the woman's name that is the main forefront person on this right now is Kristen Farmer. Again, just like Clash with Rebecca Maurer, you 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 call up Kristen and you say, lead us, you know, I, I, I can lead in that I can bring those who've done the work to lead on the issue of lead paint poisoning and infant mortality. And I think our hospital, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me a second here. Um, Ross, you just said I can lead. Um, you, your experience, your resume does not suggest that you have led anything. Nobody has led anything until they've led anything. And so while that is- So why not lead something smaller before you decide that you want to be mayor? That's a big leadership role. There are lots of smaller leadership roles. There are campaigns to solve some of these problems that you could lead. There's all sorts of stuff. Yes, I believe in fighting for change and doing the most I can do. And you're going to get some stuff wrong. You're going to get stuff some stuff right. But when I look in the mirror, I am tasked with trying my best and attempting to serve. And I don't know who's going to run in this race. And I don't, you don't know. Well, but you do, run. Ross. I mean, you know that Dick Noth is running. He may yeah. not have really announced yet or officially, but he's running. You know, Justin Bibb is running. You know, Kevin Kelly will probably run. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that Dennis Kucinich is likely going to run as well. We know that Senator Sandra Williams is likely going to run. I mean, there's are, these are all people we've interviewed already that, and I assume you've watched those. And I mean, don't, I mean, like, so no. we do know who's running. We know some of the people that may run, but we don't know any of their platforms. I, in October, I put out a very um, pointed platform vision for the future. And I don't know if Dennis Kucinich is is going to fight for term limits or campaign finance you know uh, again my campaign finance plan is is you could argue drastic you know you could argue drastic so 
if if no other candidate, Look, it is. It, it is just to be clear, so everybody knows what we're talking about. The current the the current contribution limits are seventy five hundred dollars in mayoral campaign, and three thousand uh, dollars per year per person per donor in the for a council member's campaign. You would, and that's for um, for corporate donations rather, and you would restrict those to two hundred and fifty dollars and individual donations to a maximum of $750 per year, which are currently $5,000 per year for a mayoral candidate and $1,500 per year for a council person. Uh, I think it's important to note that your system uh, favors the individual contributions over corporate. And that's, a, that's certainly a progressive, uh, a progressive reform you're proposing. Um, but I mean, some, some would suggest, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's, those are so so those are important potentially but i mean is that really the centerpiece is that really the most important issue that our city is facing right now uh the the most important issue getting back to lead paint poisoning infant mortality is again the people's will dictating policy and priorities and budgeting um so that's how we do it that's how we do it. You you motivate policy and negotiation on behalf of residents and homeowners and parents. Mm -hmm. Ross, we're going to move to um, to questions from the audience in a moment, and I, I'll remind our audience as well. If you have questions, please tweet them at the City Club or text them to three three zero. 541-5794, that's 330-541-5794, or tweet them at the City Club and we'll work them in. My apologies to Adam, who's uh, directing the, broad, the our webcast here, and I keep going in a different order than I usually do. Um, so he's flashing up different information on the screen there. Um, Ross, the, there's a, uh, a critique right now uh, in, in the world generally, but it's specifically on the progressive side that um, that suggests that there's something about being uh, a being a white male that makes white males think they can just do anything without the experience, and that if a woman or a person of color who lacked the ex who had a similar resume as yours suggested they wanted to be mayor, nobody would take them seriously. Um, what do you think about that critique, and why should people? I mean, as as we've discussed with your your um, your resume and the fact that that it doesn't speak to leadership. Why should people really believe that you're capable of leading this crucially important office? I think that I am somebody who doesn't subscribe to other people's beliefs. Um, I think when when we got on this for for my judge, you know, there was only one other African American female judge on a felony bench, and so that is um, that is full of you know mainly white males and white females, and so that was really hard. And, and you know, sh should it be diversified? Yes, of course it should. Um, as for me and my resume and my lack of, of leadership ability. Those are okay thoughts to have. I need to earn people's trust. Um, again, I, I've been working really hard, really passionately in a in a servant um, in a servant role for for twelve years, and a part a big part of my candidacy is making it possible for nurses, for teachers, uh, for firefighters 
for people who work with their hands to be able to run successfully for council and mayor in the future. So, you know, while I'm, you know, certainly a, a white male that has not led a, a been a CEO or led an organization or anything like that, you know, I'm, I'm probably the most under, or will be the most underfunded candidate of all the candidates. So, um, you know, it's about the work. It's about being willing to put in the work and, and having the passion uh, for the whole city, the whole city. Um, yesterday, on uh, when I was noting on Twitter that we were going to be having this conversation, um, and I encouraged people to respond with their questions. Somebody asked uh, one of somebody asked on Twitter, um, ask him about his upbringing in Cleveland and how it prepared him for this moment. And I said, I replied, oh, he was brought up in Chesterland. And he said, okay, ask him how his upbringing in Chesterland prepared him for this moment. Yeah, I just believe that a strong education is so paramount to building a place from the ground up. So I, I, I feel like I, I had a good education, um, you know, end up in law school. And that is the most important thing, wanting to get every four-year-old um, the education that I had or even better, you know, and, and when you lose 8,000 kids, you know, because of COVID and going virtual, it's, it's tough to, it's tough to worry about getting them to college. You know, we got to get our babies to college, you know, so I, I know what I had and I really appreciated it. And I think that that's what we need to do. We need to start off at a very young age and put our kids first help our most vulnerable. You know, I'm a huge fan of the I Promise School in Akron. We've got a very vulnerable communities who aren't getting what somebody like me had. And so that's what I want to prioritize, help fighting for kids, infant mortality, lead paint poisoning, and CMSD. You know, you put the kids first and the business will follow. Uh, so with the kids, with the, the thousands of uh, children who seem to have fallen off the rolls uh, in the Cleveland Metro School District, what is your plan to bring them back? Constant reaching out, you know, but it, it starts with the families. You know, you, you've got to understand kids' family situations and make school a place where, unfortunately, our teachers are already asked to do too much, but direct funding, how we need to fund it, and reach out and end the di digital divide. And that's it. Get, get, I mean, if we're, if we're still dealing with COVID, you have to end the di digital divide as soon as possible. We still want to end the di digital divide as soon as possible. Let's say there never was any COVID. But when you lose 8,000 kids going virtual, it's clearly a result of that number one, uh, two, I think in 2019, worst ranked um digitally connected place in the city. Yeah. Another systemic problem. When you, when you look at this stuff, so what's your plan to fix the, to bridge the digital divide? So I, I just met with a youth group who's put in a lot of research who lobbied at the state level. And they said, this is not going to cost as much as you think, but there's a hundred million dollars invested in it previously. And 40%, 45% were, was left unconnected. And it, so you don't need to partner with AT&T or Verizon. There are other smaller providers 
that you would work with, you know, your businesses with, your hospitals with, and get the whole city connected. And it won't be that expensive. How do you, I, I, so I've looked at this, we've had a number of conversations about this. The most expensive part is what's, you know, referred to as the last mile, right? Like how you get the hookups from the trunk into directly to people's homes. What's, do you have a plan or are you just sort of hoping it won't be that expensive? No, no. Um, Quicken helped get this done in Detroit. You know, you partner with your businesses and your hospitals. Uh, you, you do an RFP and it doesn't have to be one provider, one digital. It can be three or four. And you work from the ground up. You get the money in from, you know, your big hospitals, your big businesses, and you get every block Wi-Fi access. So you would do it as Wi-Fi, not direct hookup to the home. You do it as public Wi-Fi. I think that would be the ideal. And I don't, you know, that is the ideal. Uh, here's a question from uh, from our audience. You've spent many years in the Justice Center downtown. A U.S. Marshal report in 2018 confirmed the inhumane conditions of that jail. With your professional perspective working in the building, what does criminal justice reform in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County look like to you? Yeah, it's a super important question, obviously. I think doing calls differently before and after the call. So usually if a call has been made 911, you know, the crime's already been committed. It, we want to do focused deterrence to bring down incidences of crime. And that's police working with the community, maybe re resetting up our mini stations that we had many years ago, um, being able to know your local police officer in your neighborhood, um, and being stationed consistently by you and working with adults who know who high offender people out on release are to, again, have a more focused approach to deterring crime so that less calls are made. Now, Some of the conversations about criminal justice reform specifically have to do with bail reform. Um, I just want to follow up on these on some of these specific issues. Um, the United States is one of the uh, remaining few, if only remaining industrialized nation that still uses a cash bail system. And it doesn't use a cash bail system. It uses like 18,000 cash bail systems across the country. What do you think about cash bail and about getting rid of cash bail? Uh, we should get rid of it. I think Illinois just got rid of it full scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I will work with uh, the Muni Court judges. Uh, I know some of them from my from my seven and a half years uh, at the felony level. Again, that's state, so we're going to lobby. We'll, we'll lobby whoever the governor may be, and I I, I certainly think it's time to say goodbye. Hmm. Um, the uh, uh, another aspect of criminal justice reform has to do with um, what's commonly referred to in shorthand as defund the police but it has a, a number of different, you know, there's a, that's shorthand for a lot of different ideas. Um, how do you see that set of issues there in terms of funding for the police? We currently spend over 30% of the city's budget on public safety. Um, how do you see that set of issues and how would you do it differently? Yeah, uh, as I was talking about, certainly community policing, um, bringing back the mini stations 
And beyond that, it's doing everything we can to eliminate any civil penalties. You know, so uh, while I was on the uh, at the court, you know, we had a it wasn't Cleveland police. It was a, a different suburb, you know, called to a mental health situation, um, needed a mental health professional. Police went, were frightened, unfortunately passed, uh, you know, shot and, and killed the young man. And these costs are, are huge. So with bias training, with a different uh, 911 dispatch system, you can save lives, which is the most important thing, obviously. And you'll also be saving money because every penny that gets spent on one of these lawsuits is, is something that I guess you can't um, budget for at these yearly budget hearings at city council, because I listen to them and, and you don't, you, you, they don't budget for it, you know, but it's certainly an expense. And that's how you keep funding where it's at, save lives, save money, and hire you know mental health professionals and change the dispatch system and the the whole object of having a police in your community. We want a more local presence. We want faster responses, and we want compassion and we want bias training. And policing is a really hard job, you know. And we want to help our police officers do the best job they can have the best know-how they they have anywhere in the country. Um, uh, previous interviews with mayoral candidates, specifically the last one with Dick Noth, who served on the Community Police Commission um, as a, I think, co-chair of that commission, um, he suggested that he would relieve uh, Chief Williams of his job. Would you fire the chief? So I'm willing to fire anybody. You know, and, and but the only things I know about Chief Williams are what I read in the media and then hearing him on the budget hearings because I, I listen to the budget meetings. Other than that, I, I've, I've never had the opportunity to meet him. I've never spoken to um, an officer, you know, or all the officers uh, about him. And I think that I would treat any city employee, whether it's the fire chief, because I just read an article about the fire chief or the police chief with the same level of, of service I would want for, for myself or a loved one, which is to do my due diligence. And I definitely want progress. I, I consider myself a progressive candidate. Um, I definitely want criminal justice reform. I definitely want more, um, yeah, more progressive reforms in the police department, but I'm not, I don't feel comfortable on an interview telling you I'll fire a gentleman I've never met or, you know, Fair enough. based off reading media things. Are you committed to timely implementation of the lead safe certificate law to protect children, especially vulnerable tenants from lead poisoning, which continues to affect so many in our city? I'm so sorry. I'm going to ask you to repeat that. I said, are you committed to timely implementation of the lead safe certificate law to protect children, especially vulnerable tenants, lead poisoning, which continues to affect so many in our city? Yes, I'd love to. <clears throat> I'd love to implement it on day one. Another question for you. And if you do have questions, by the way, just text them to 330-541-5794 
or tweet them at the city club. We'll work them in. Um, what's your plan to accelerate Cleveland's economic development? Further new business. Um, oh. Work with our, our high school seniors, <clears throat> work with wanting entrepreneurs, small business grants. Again, we talked about that a little bit earlier, fighting for funding for small businesses. There are, it's, Unfortunately, it's sad, you know, when you give, um, you know, a 60 year tax abatement, uh, a lot of people describe it as a bailout, but yet we've had small business after small business close during COVID, you know, restaurant after restaurant closed during COVID. So again, it's about treating citizens equally. And, and you're talking about giving tax abatements and, and referring to them as, as bailouts to non-Clevelanders you know, while Clevelanders are declaring bankruptcy, are closing their doors, putting people out of work. And, and so it's fiscal priorities. It's fiscal priorities and, and making those who can pay their taxes and giving out grants in different amounts. You know, they don't have to all be divisible by zero, uh, you know, by 10, uh, giving different amount of grants to businesses based on how many people they employ um, and their books. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, with regard to economic development, we have a lot of conversations at the city club about the importance of the urban core, uh, the importance of downtown among the you know, downtown is one among many neighborhoods across the city. Um, but it's a, it's a unique neighborhood and that's, a, it's really is the center of, uh, commerce. And, um, are there any particular view about downtown development and how resources ought be deployed, especially in the wake of this last year, where, as you say, so many retail establishments have closed. Yeah, I just think that it's, again, about making uh, leases affordable. Um, there are there are places for abatements. You know, there are places for abatements, but it's about opening up books and doing some math and, and figuring out how do we make this street workable for a business that wants to continue going or opening up shop here on this street? I mean, downtown is a lot bigger than, you know, just uh, uh, progressive field or, or, you know, downtown in and of itself is big. I mean, we, our law office was on 21st and St. Clair. I consider that downtown, mm -hmm. you know, so it's going to vary by block. It's really going to vary by block. But are there any, I mean, sure, it's going to vary by block, but I mean, we have a, you know, it's essentially most of Ward 3, right? So, um, I mean, what's your vision? My vision is winning negotiations and helping people who want to start a business start a business and helping small businesses increase their roles, you know, get, be able to be in a position to hire a new employee. Uh, another question for you from our audience. Have you done any progressive nonprofit work, either uh, paid or as a as a volunteer, to lay the basic groundwork for the issues you see as a problem? Why be mayor in, in a position in which decisions are heavily determined by compromise when there are many, many active nonprofit initiatives in Cleveland that could use the expertise of someone who has studied the law? Yeah, no, I've... Uh... I, I did a little phone banking on, on the, the lead paint. 
Um, I no, I volunteered for for Bernie's campaign, you know, but I've been working up until COVID. You know, my my job required me to be in the community um, at a minimum, usually six days a week and work for for my boss. And, and that's what I did. And, and a big part of that was being in Ward 1, you know, being in Ward 11, being in Ward 3, but not petition uh, initiatives. And I love that opportunity for, for me in the future is, is fighting progressive campaigns. Um, it's what I'm passionate about. And but when I was working for the judge from 09 to to 2020, you know, I, I go full go. I go full go. So, okay. Uh, another question for you. You called yourself a progressive previously in the conversation. What other progressive policies will you be advocating for? $15 minimum wage, green energy policies, or something else? Yeah. Sustainability. The, fi the $15 minimum wage thing is something that, first of all, I would advocate for a $15.99 minimum wage. But second of all, we've got to go down to the Capitol. So the same way that we lost the right to do that, we've got to go down to the Capitol and win the right to, to do it again. Um, the other thing is, you know, if, if we're going to stimulate the economy through big business, you know, making sure that we're divvying out the uh, contractor jobs to minority contractor firms. Um, so I'm all for a much higher minimum wage. Uh, because of the home rule law, we can't implement that, you know, on day one. It's got to be a consistent campaign to change state law or now federal law. And, and you know, federally, I think a lot of people are confused on it right now. Uh, you mentioned sustainability. What would you do there? What would you advocate? Yeah, I, I, I am on the side of putting the offshore wind farm on Lake Erie. And I think Cincinnati just did the biggest solar farm in the country or contracted to set up the biggest solar farm in the country. I, I think we have one in Brooklyn, but continuing to put forth options for wind and solar along with more bus routes and advocating for, for bus transportation and, rap and rapid. Um, what are your thoughts on the funding provided to by the city to sports teams owners, sports team owners, and uh, and stadiums and arenas? It's time to end. It's time to end. Um, I didn't like the Q deal. I'm with the the twenty thousand signers. Um, I think that in all beyond sports, but these sports ones, you know, they're they're what are considered public private partnerships, and you know. I suppose that's a nice way of saying a negotiation. So if you give, you know, if you give an organization um, $88 million in value, whether it's uh, a check and abatements, you want to get back 88.1 at a minimum. You know, it's a simple equation. But with that 88, I think we had a few high schools around the area get new basketball courts and the, uh, in the end, a big part of the fight was, hey, can we get an east side and a west side mental health facility built mm -hmm. off, off these funds? And to my knowledge, they're still not being erected. So, again, if you're going to give away $88 million in value 
It's about it's about simple business concepts, ROI, return on investment, and opportunity cost. What else could you have done with that money? How much money does the queue generate in tax revenue? Just a direct tax revenue from players and employees and you know and jobs associated with the queue. Um, and how do you know that it's not that the eighty eight million dollars isn't worth that you know doesn't create a, enough return? Well, we'd love to look at those books and get the total, but <clears throat> it's not worth the return if we if we could have divvied it up better, like I said, with small businesses, new entrepreneurs, the opportunity cost of it. But Ross, the small businesses, I mean, all the restaurants on Fourth Street, right? They're there because the queue is there, because the cabs play at the queue and because concerts happen at the queue, right? That's the argument. So um, so how do you how do you how can you both support small businesses but not support anchor that makes those small businesses possible? I think your are I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think your argument is that the cabs would have left had we not had we. Well, not. I mean, the economics of professional sports, we are like the smallest market in North America that has three professional sports franchises. Um, and, you know, the and that's what makes it so hard to own a sports franchise in Cleveland. Right. Because, you know, because there isn't a big enough market to draw from to fill the stands. Yeah. Um, and any of the owners will tell you that. So there are other cities uh, similarly sized that have mm -hmm. zero sports teams. I think mm -hmm. that's kind of something that you're referring to. Yeah. But people's entertainment budgets are their entertainment budgets. So because you don't have the cabs, you may still have um, um, uh, an Ariana Grande concert uh, in a winter night that you would have had a cabs game. You still have Playhouse. Ariana Grande, Ariana Grande wouldn't be playing at the queue if the queue didn't exist, if there hadn't been a deal to erect the queue gunned arena in the first place, right? Yes, yes, and, but most cities that don't have three sports teams still have concert venues, uh, you know, and some teams have arenas, or some cities have arenas that host big concerts, you know, so you're, what you're, I think what we're talking about is people's entertainment budgets. You know, and, and I still think that, you know, the Playhouse Square, um, uh, like I said, concerts, the Indians, you know, there are numerous ways to bring people on a Friday and a Saturday night to to a beautiful downtown restaurant that you've supported, that you've helped helped erect. Um, and so, again, about the 88 million, it's it's just about opening up the books and doing what's right for m me, my neighbors future business, the, the neighboring businesses, it's really about fighting for every dollar. And oh, and the mental health facilities and the hardwood courts in Glen, you know, I think I've been to Glenville. Glenville got their court redone because of the Q deal, you know? So, but you wanna fight harder. You wanna fight harder. So I think that that information is available. It just requires some digging. I can't quote you exactly where it is, but I know there've been plenty of studies done. Different question now about, um, housing stock. Cleveland has an older and often under-maintained housing stock. Could you speak to how you would address the state of housing, financial support, demolition, etc.? Yeah, again, I, I think you're going to look at it block by block, but one thing is zoning. 
Um, we may want to completely overhaul our zoning code. It was put in place at a different time when we had a lot of those manufacturing jobs and, and certain <clears throat> big time pollutants around. So taking a look at the zoning code, taking a look at the 15 year tax abatement and again, block by block, which, which blocks would be better served for demolition or, or houses, which houses would be better served for demolition and which might be better served for renovation. So it's a neighborhood, that's a neighborhood battle. Give me an example of what you mean by changing the zoning code. What, what, to pick a neighborhood, how would you change the zoning? What are you talking, what are you referring to? Yeah, we, we wanna read the zoning code and figure out, are we not enabling affordable builds? You know, can you run a store, you know, and, and ha out of your house and, and things of that nature? And where are the commercial districts, the industrial districts? And is that inhibiting our ability to improve our housing stock. Um, another question from our audience, and this may be the last question because we're getting close to the end of the hour. If you don't end up making it through the primary election, who do you think is the best candidate of those declared, named, or rumored to lead the city? Who will you support? Uh, declared, named, or rumored, it's just so, ugh, I hate you it. Could, you could pick just based on the ones that we've interviewed here at the City Club. Uh, hey, you've interviewed Sa Sandra Williams? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, interviewed I, Kevin I, Kelly, Blaine Griffin, Zach Reed, Justin Bibbs, Sandra Williams, Dick Knoth, and uh, I don't think any others, but I might have, I might, I might not have named them all. You know, I, I am a fan of Sandra Williams. I've, I've donated to her campaigns in the past, so I, I don't want to say this because I want people to tell me what they think about my plan. I want to hear what they have to say about progressive improvements of democracy, putting Clevelanders back in charge of Cleveland, amplifying Clevelanders' voices have been ignored. Um, but I, I do like S Sandra Williams on a personal level. Okay. Ross DiBello is running to be mayor of the city of Cleveland. He announced last October and uh, joined us today for an hour-long interview here. Ross, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. We appreciate you um, putting yourself into the arena. Thank you guys for the platform. Okay. Take care. And thank you for joining us for our conversation today with Ross DiBello. All City Club virtual forums are presented for free every week thanks to generous support from Bank of America, Key Bank, the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, and PNC. You can join them in supporting the City Club's mission by make, making a contribution online at cityclub.org. You can also become a member there, and we would love to welcome you as a member. I'm Dan Malthrop. Stay strong and stay healthy. Please wash your hands and keep your distance just for a little while longer and get that vaccine if you can. Our forum is now adjourned.